0: The reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 20, beginning to read at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas Put your finger here See my hands Reach out your hands And put it into my side Stop doubting And believe Thomas said to him My Lord And my God Then Jesus told him This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Let me pray for us before we begin. Father God, would you send your Holy Spirit this morning that um, as we read your word you would show us more of the risen Jesus. And Father, would you take what I've prepared and anything that's not of you, would it be quickly forgotten? In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. We all love stories, don't we? I think it's a universal part of being human. It's kind of something that crosses cultures. In our own culture, we love telling stories through film and TV and novels and theatre. There's so many different ways. And I think we all have a tendency to like stories with happy endings as well. (laughs) Although we tend to sort of ridicule fairy tales because they all live happily ever after at the end. Actually, if you look at the most popular stories... They tend to be the ones that end happily. I kind of have a love hate relationship with good novels because I always get so sucked in that I find myself agonising whenever anything bad happens. And I often find I have to look to the end of the book to find out if the main character actually survives. But there are no such spoilers like that for us in real life. We can't look to the end to see how it all ends. And there were no such spoilers for the disciples at Jesus' crucifixion. They weren't to know what was going to happen afterwards. And the thing is, when we come to look at Easter, that can be a bit of a problem for us because we're so familiar with it. I think sometimes the horrificness of Jesus' death and the surprise of the disciples when he turns up alive three days later is kind of muted by the fact that we know it's going to happen, and so we don't see how horrific it actually is, and we don't see their confusion. We saw at the end of last week the beginning of this this happy ending. We saw that Peter and John have seen the risen Je- have seen the empty tomb, sorry, and Mary has seen the risen Jesus and gone to the disciples with that famous cry, he is risen. And yet at the beginning of our passage today, we see the disciples in a locked room for fear of the Jewish leaders. I sort of think if we didn't know the story so well, we might be left after last week with a few questions. How? How is Jesus alive? What next? What does this mean? And I think probably for Peter and John and for Mary, There were a lot of questions about, well, you know, how and why? What next? I think it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall in that room and hear the conversation they were having before Jesus turned up. I wonder how many of them actually believed what Mary said. Peter and John had only seen the empty tomb. I wonder if there was a measure of of doubt in that room, a mixture of doubt, questions, belief, hope. And yet, what we see is that as Jesus comes among them, among this group of bewildered blokes, he gives them three things in what he says. And I want to take a look at each of those things because those are things he wants to give us today as well as Christians today. Firstly, we see that Jesus gives them his peace. He says twice, Peace be with you. What does it mean for Jesus to give them his peace? Well, we've seen that they're clearly not at peace. They're confused. They're hiding for fear of the repercussions of the empty tomb being found. They're probably worrying about what happens next. You know, do we go back to being his followers? Do they go back to being fishermen? And yet the sort of peace that Jesus brings doesn't take away all those problems. He brings them peace, but he doesn't give them all the answers immediately. And it's the same for us. The sort of peace that Jesus brings us doesn't take away all our worries. But it's still peace nevertheless. I think it's perfectly summed up uh, by a famous old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, You may or may not be familiar with this hymn, but I want to read briefly what the hymn writer says. When the peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It might not seem apparent how that relates, but I think the story behind this hymn really sums up the peace that Jesus brings. This hymn was written by a guy called Horatio Spafford, who was a lawyer in 19th century Chicago, and he came to write this hymn after a series of family tragedies. His son was ill and nearly died. And shortly, shortly after there was a big fire in Chicago and so he lost a lot of money that he'd invested in things because things quite literally went up in smoke. And so after that his career took a bit of a downturn and so Spafford decided his family should take a bit of a break and travel to England. And as it happened he had to stay behind and he was going to meet his family in England. So he sent his wife and children on ahead and sadly the ship they were on sank and he lost his four daughters And it was after that tragedy that he came to write this hymn. And yet it's remarkable that he was still able to write, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The sort of peace Jesus brings doesn't take away that pain. I'm sure the sort of peace Jesus brought Spafford didn't take away the pain of losing his four daughters. And yet it's still comfort and security Paul calls it in Philippians a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's the sort of peace that means people will look on at at us and see our situation and think, why are you so calm? Why are you at peace? Because, humanly speaking, we shouldn't be. And yet the peace Jesus brings in the midst of those circumstances gives us assurance and comfort and hope. Secondly, we see Jesus gives his disciples purpose. He says, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And the thing is, the God that we serve is a missional God. The Father sent his Son into the world to redeem his people. He sent Jesus to win for himself a bride, the church. And in the same way, Jesus sends his people out in the power of the Holy Spirit. You may remember back in John 10, Jesus talks about his people as sheep. And in, in verse 16 there, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The remarkable thing is that Jesus uses those who were once his lost sheep to bring in those who are still lost. He sends out his disciples to bring in those lost sheep. And he wants to do the same with us. He wants to use us. And so for us the question is, what's the purpose of our lives? The only reason we're not beamed up to heaven as soon as we accept Jesus as Lord is because he's got a purpose for us here. He wants to use us to bring in some of those lost sheep. I think part of the problem with talking about evangelism in church is it can make us feel guilty. It can make us feel like we're not doing very well at it. And sometimes that guilt can be our motivation for doing it. You know, we feel we ought to do evangelism, and we don't like feeling guilty when people talk about it. And so that's why we go and do it. But that's never going to be a good motivation for doing it. It's never going to lead us to fruitfully telling people about Jesus. We had a speaker at our Christian Union just before missions, our missions week and he came and one thing he said about evangelism that really struck me is evangelism is just worship in a different context. Just think about that for a second. What he's getting at is when we're together as Christians, whether it be in church or whether it be just informally, when we're sharing with one another about how good the Lord is and what he's done in our lives, that's worship. And so how is it any different when we go out and spend time with people who don't know Jesus and we do the same thing, we share what the Lord has done in our lives with them. I think the thing as well is that this just shows us that worship should be our primary motivation. Worship should be the reason we do evangelism. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have seen what he's done in our lives. And so surely that should drive us to want to share that with others. Thirdly, we see that Jesus gives the disciples power. He doesn't just give them a purpose and then leave them with no means of fulfilling it. We have this incident where he breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. This might raise a few questions for us, like, Well, what about Pentecost? Do the disciples receive the Holy Spirit twice? Actually, I don't think it matters too much. There are those who say, Yes, they do receive the Holy Spirit twice. And there are those who say this is just kind of prophetic, it's a foreshadowing. But I think the important thing to see here is we see something of what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus breathes on them. And we see this image of breathing life into things in the Old Testament. In Genesis 2, the Lord God breathes life into Adam. And so what the Holy Spirit does is gives life. We saw it in that confession we said together before. The Holy Spirit gives life. And I think that feeds directly into what we've just said about Jesus giving us purpose. Because the other thing when people talk about evangelism is we can feel inadequate. I know through being involved in Christian Union at uni, I've felt inadequate a lot of times when it comes to my non-believing friends. Because I often think, you know, they're a million miles away from coming to know Jesus. And so sometimes we can think, well, what's the point? What's the point in talking to them when... You know, they're so far off. And yet the thing that's constantly encouraged me is seeing that it's God who opens people's eyes. He sends us out in the power of the Holy Spirit. I've constantly been pointed back to 2 Corinthians 4. And in 2 Corinthians four four, Paul says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And so, in one sense, I should feel inadequate because... My friends are blind. I can't do anything to open their eyes. And yet there is comfort, because further on in verse 6, Paul says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That is, it's the Holy Spirit who opens people's eyes, not us. And so we, we don't need to feel inadequate, because we go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, he goes out before us, and he does the work of drawing people to Jesus. Finally, we come to this last bit of the passage about doubting Thomas. And I think there's so much that could be said about this bit of the passage, but I just really want to focus on what Thomas actually says. Because Thomas's confession is big. We probably know that John's Gospel is pretty explicit about who Jesus is. But even in the scheme of John's Gospel, Thomas's confession, my Lord and my God, is massive. I think sometimes when we look at Thomas, we can be a little bit scathing of him and think that his doubts were just over the top. The disciples, after all, had seen Jesus. But actually, I think we're more like Thomas than we think. We're surrounded by the same sort of scepticism all the time. It's kind of the air that we breathe. There's this whole attitude of you must see it to believe it. There seems to be this current craze with magicians, and I don't know if you've seen these TV shows about these great magicians that do big tricks, but I was watching one of these with my housemate a few months ago, and it was the first time I'd seen one of these things. And this guy did some amazing things, and I couldn't for the life of me work out how he did them. But we still assume when we see things like that that there is a natural explanation for it, don't we? We still assume that when we see something we believe to be impossible, there is a reason behind it. And so in that respect, we are just like Thomas. The disciples said they had seen the risen Jesus. But Thomas said, well, you know, I've got to touch him before I believe. And the thing is, Thomas's confession, my Lord and my God tells us something this very man this jesus is the lord of the universe he is the one for whom and through whom all things were made he is the son eternally loved by the father and the thing about getting Jesus' identity as our lord and god is that it ties together those three things we've seen that jesus wants to give us peace purpose and power we can't receive jesus's peace Unless we know him as our Lord and God. We're never going to feel Jesus' peace in our circumstances when things are going wrong. Unless we truly believe that he is our God. That he does work all things together for the good of those who love him. When it comes to purpose, we've seen that our motivation for evangelism should be worship. And it cannot be worship unless we know the one we are worshipping. Our Lord and God. And finally, as I said before about power, we can often feel like the people we know are miles away from becoming Christians. We're never going to see the point in talking to them about Jesus if we don't believe that he has given us the Holy Spirit. If we don't believe that the Holy Spirit can open people's blinded eyes. So finally, peace, purpose and power. Three things that Jesus gave his disciples and three things that he wants to give to us too. And so the question is, do you feel you've received those things? Do you know his peace? Do you truly feel that, his, that the purpose for your life is to preach the gospel, speak the gospel wherever you get the opportunity? And do you truly trust that Jesus has given you the power to do that? Because the good news is, if we feel we're lacking in any of these things this morning, all we have to do is go to the Lord and ask him. He's not withheld his only son from us. And so he won't withhold anything else from us either. He wants to give us these things. Amen.